0: This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda, and you're listening to Think Retail. Every other day, you read a headline about labor shortages hurting restaurants and hospitality. In some places, companies are recruiting 14-year-olds, while others are offering big signing bonuses. Many restaurants are closing their doors several days a week because they don't have enough staff to stay open, further hurting businesses that have managed barely to stay afloat during the pandemic. Government benefits that have supported those who've lost their jobs have ebbed away. So why this dearth of workers? Why is it persisting? And if it continues, what does that mean for service? Today we're speaking to Patricia Gamami, General Manager of the Drake Hotel Devonshire and Motor Inn, about working in the service industry today and tomorrow. Welcome!
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: So to set the stage for our conversation, can you just tell us what's happening, what you've seen happening with staffing and hiring during the last 18 months and how it compares to pre-pandemic?
1: Yeah, sure. I think that it's pretty common knowledge. I mean, as you well said earlier, it's all over the news. The truth is that um, this is an unprecedented uh, pattern in terms of um, employment and and, uh, finding talent in the industry in the sense that there is a severe shortage of of applicants anytime a posting is is made of, in fact, any level, uh, whether if it's uh, middle to high-level management or just entry-level positions. You have very few applicants. Uh, Quite often, the level of skill or experience that those applicants bring to the table is uh, minimal at best. And and even with those applicants, there are quite often uh, very... Um, specific restrictions as to their availability or the kind of salary they're willing to accept or the kind of positions they're willing to take. So really unprecedented times. Previously, you uh, would quite often have um, a good selection of highly talented and skilled people to choose from in any position. So it's really turned on its head, if you will.
0: Yeah and it's not just the food service industry I mean this is across all frontline service sector retail positions. So a a lot of blame for this has been placed on government support for people who found themselves out of a job during the pandemic but now that those supports are drying up do you see any change happening?
1: Uh, There's been a marginal change um, that we've noticed at least I think the truth is that uh, the CERB probably gave some people the opportunity to take marginal pay cut and stay at home uh, for various reasons, whether if there was a true concern about being, uh, you know, serving the public during a pandemic, which is a real concern, it's a health issue and it's understandable, or that people were just burnt out from, from all the years of working in an industry that's really taxing both physically and Frankly speaking, oftentimes emotionally and psychologically. Uh, So, SERP was a a catalyst, I think, for a long-coming problem that I think we've all been aware of. But frankly speaking, there was never a simple solution to the problem, and nobody really had a viable proposition to even address the problem. So, now we're faced with a situation where it's everyone's reality, and we have to find a way to to deal with it because I don't think it's going away anytime soon. So no, to answer your question, I don't think SERP was the defining factor in in what's happening now.
0: Right. And I think some people did use the pandemic as an opportunity to upskill or to make a change moving into something like a a professional position where they're behind a desk and could work from home. We've also seen some of that too. Mm So, okay. So people may not be coming back to work, but what about customers? Um, And if they're coming back, how is this impacting the experience that they're having and uh, the pressure on current staff?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely see a a resurgence of of demand, uh, you know, from from the industry in terms of products and services. Clearly, we're not back at 100% capacity, but there is certainly much more demand than there is uh, supply, if you will, in terms of just opportunity to serve and, and to sell. Um, people have been cooped up for now, gosh, two years, you know, off and on. And so everybody's keen to get out there and, and do something. And obviously, quite often the, you know, um, hospitality sector is a place where people tend to get away to, whether if it's hotels, restaurants, entertainment, clubs, bars, so on and so forth. And um, so the demand is definitely there. The ability to to service the demand is not anywhere near um, there. So we're often finding that we have to reduce our capacities. We have to not have our full inventory available for sale. You know, we've had to reduce um, offers because we just simply can't keep up with the, the volume of work that's demanded, which in turn, again, puts undue pressure on the people who are back trying to get back into the business quite often those who are employed in the business now just don't have the experience and skill to do uh you know the level of volumes that we're seeing and so it just the problem keeps compounding you know it, it there there unnecessary pressure is put on put on people oftentimes the the clients and um uh, the guests are, you know, frustrated with long waits, or, you know, lower standard service or product, whether because, you know, product availability has been uh, compromised, or um, this, you know, service level is not where they're used to um, having it. And so they get frustrated. And there's this new phenomenon of very abusive behavior, that perhaps isn't a new phenomenon, but it's just we're seeing it, much more prevalent now than it has been in the past all of these things compound the existing issue of people not wanting to go back to work in in these sectors so yeah definitely there are more people wanting to be served than there are people to service them
0: so I want to talk a little bit more about uh you know pre-existing condition if we want to call it that a a customer aggression that yes definitely existed but over the past two years yes people have been cooped up and desperately want to be outside desperately want to be doing something fun and I do think I'm speaking for myself here definitely lost some of our um, social graces and just remembering how to interact with people in an appropriate way it's taking some reconditioning but I also think you know if I think back to my days working in service industry, that line between acceptable behavior and the customer always being right and balancing that with being customer centric. Do you think that that line, that we need to reestablish that line a little bit? If we could just talk a little bit about that, love to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you. There's definitely been a history of that, um, you know, notion of customer is in quotes, always right. And sometimes the conditions under which customers have demanded um, attention or, or um, service is really has, has, has uh, crossed the boundary of, of what we consider acceptable behavior. I think what I'm seeing now um, is that is the frequency and the intensity at which this is happening. You're right. There's always been a, a, a you know marginal group of people who who've just behaved badly, if you can say that, uh, you know, when when um, dealing with people who are of service to them. But now what I'm seeing is that it's just far too frequently, and and the level of aggression is just um, you know beyond acceptable. And so what that does is that it just wears away at already. Uh, fragile states of mind of people who are in the service industry, and it's, um, it happens so frequently that they just are not able to cope with it. So yes, that's always existed, but I definitely think that this is a fairly new phenomenon in terms of the, the level at which it's happening, the intensity at which it's happening.
0: And how are you seeing, um, you know, if you have examples of a successful response to this, or how, how are companies dealing with this?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a med- actually quite amazed at uh, what I've seen in terms of response to this, and it goes across sectors that I would have never dreamed would have this issue, such as my doctor's office, for instance. You know, on on their um, automated uh, messaging systems. In fact, every office I've called, whether if it's government offices or doctors' offices or uh, you know essential services. Of any kind, one of the first things you hear in the automated uh, messaging systems is a warning that the you know that that um, there's a zero tolerance policy for any aggressive behavior and that uh, that the person attending to you may just hang up the call if if you're aggressive. I've never seen this before. I really uh, welcome this. I think that this is a great opportunity across all sectors, including hospitality, to to really set a new baseline for respect and and giving people dignity in whatever position they hold. I think this is a great opportunity to make our industry a more palatable industry to work for, uh, because to be honest, I think part of the problem is that not enough respect has been given to many of these positions. People have assumed that these are positions of no skill, and now we're seeing the results of, of individuals who have no training or little training or little years of experience in the industry trying to do what skilled professionals have done for many years. And that's where we're seeing the real difference between the services that are being offered, the quality of it, the consistency of it, and their ability to just deliver service.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the the idea of um, even the term low skilled jobs or unskilled work, that yes. job that that title or that that type of language is I being challenged and i think that it's you know a good thing that that's happening and i also think that as a customer if you put yourself if you really are customer centric and you're thinking about that restaurant and say you've got a hundred seats in the restaurant and 98 of those people don't want that customer to be catered to either they Mm -hmm. want that customer to be told i'm sorry that's not." acceptable behavior. I, I've sure. been in that position where I'm seeing the server be verbally abused and be yelled at, and I don't want that person in the restaurant. I'd rather have the manager ask that person to leave. So I think there's also thinking about those other 98% instead of thinking about that one individual who's choosing to to disrupt the evening for everybody.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think creating workplaces that are are safe and nurturing and respectful where people can live and work with dignity and pride just is exactly what this industry and any other industry suffering from these these, um, consequences right now needs. We need to make people feel good about going to work and feel good about being of service and take pride in what they're able to you know, what the, the, they're able to contribute every single day. And if anything, this time has shown us the value of the individuals who work in these, like you said, traditionally called low skilled or no skilled. Now we realize that that's a total farce, that there is no such thing as no skilled labor and that um, the people who we desperately need in times like this are exactly those people. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's a really, it's a great opportunity to reset. And I'm really looking at it as that, you know, I'm really hoping that we come out of this with a whole new paradigm, you know? Right.
0: And now you, you, you sort of gave us a, a good view of, you know, how many resumes you may be getting and what the quality of those resumes compared to um, the pre-pandemic. And I think mm-hmm. pl- employers in every sector are, are experiencing a similar trend. And it has been an employer's market for such a long time. It does require mm-hmm. a, a bit of a, a rethink about, as an employer, how do, you, how do you not just hire people? First of all, you've got to recruit them and hire them. But then once you have them there, how do you keep them? Um, you found someone you really like. How do you keep them in your role? And what are you seeing happen here? What do you think should happen? I
1: think we need to rethink the traditional models and also the the sort of mindset we've had around who is the optimal candidate for a position. And we also really need to think about the sort of life journey or life expectancy of each position that we hire for. In my industry, what we often find, and I don't think this is, I think it's pretty much the same across any industry, you often end up hiring you know young people who are either straight out of school or just have limited work experience into entry level positions in which historically we've had the luxury of holding people for several years in that same role and sort of having enough stability in the organization that we didn't have to be agile and you know move people along some kind of spectrum quickly and continue to train them and develop them and And, you know, entice them to stay through those various avenues of of opportunity. Now, what we're seeing is that uh, partly it's a generational thing and partly is that it's just the way the world is post-pandemic, that people just have higher expectations for themselves. They're happy to get on board, learn the skills quickly. They want to be continuing to grow. They want to continue to be challenged. They want to see pay increases fairly quickly. And, you know, they don't want to be just doing the same rudimentary tasks day in, day out for years. So we we just have to, I think we have to be quick on our feet. We have to rethink this, you know, a model that we've worked under for decades now, Uh, you know, totally have to rethink that and um, be progressive. Like I said earlier, create environments that are nurturing and positive and uh, rewarding. And also, I really think that the pay, you know, traditionally in, in hospitality, particularly, there's been a sense that, that the, that the equ- equitable pay has been an issue. Part of the problem is that, uh, you know, quite often in various positions in hospitality, you rely on tips. And tips are great because, unfortunately, many people opt not to claim them as as salary or revenue. And what ends up happening in a time like a pandemic is that you obviously what you've claimed as your as your um, income is what's on paper. So when situations like this arise, you don't you don't you're you have nothing to fall back on in terms of government support, employment insurance, so on and so forth. So that's always been also something that we've, we've talked about in, in the industry. You know, this whole tip, the, the sort of duality of, of this concept, you know, it's good in some ways It's and it's not in other ways. So I would say equitable pay, better working conditions, just both mental, emotional, psychological conditions that are more positive and continuing to develop people and not taking talent for granted and having them. You know feel stale and unchallenged in their positions
0: yeah and i that's very that's a common theme even in even in the professional world where Mm -hmm. young people come in and the lifespan of a a young hire who's fresh out of school is you know half of what it was maybe even five years ago so it's it's very common theme so yeah. in the service industry, I mean, I have seen, uh, in, you know, on social media and in the news, some companies, especially in fast, uh, in fast casual and in fast food, recruiting teenagers to fill mm-hmm. this gap. And I've also seen recruiting seniors. So mm-hmm. it's very interesting to two very different demographic groups. Um, what do you make of this? What are the pros and cons? And, and what do you think about it?
1: Honestly, I'm a big fan of the idea, and I really hope that uh, you know, as I sort of um, get prepared for the next reopening, if you will, that I'm able to to use this kind of strategy to to optimize my um, organization here. I think it's wonderful for many reasons. First of all, I think there are so many misconceptions around age, both young and old. I think we traditionally have believed that. Teenagers are not mature enough, responsible enough, uh, you know, reliable enough, so on and so forth. And elderly, as you know, "quote unquote," we call them, are don't have enough energy. They, you know, they're again not reliable enough. May fall sick, may be inconsistent, so on and so forth. I think both are are no longer true. So I think there's a real opportunity there, and I really love the idea of cross generational teams. Uh, I think that the older generations bring wisdom and calm and, uh, you know, knowledge through the years. Quite often, they're completely overqualified for these positions, and they're doing it either as a way to stay uh, productive and healthy or, you know, as a way of having a small um, revenue stream and then the younger people will bring the energy and the enthusiasm and creativity. And obviously they're the future of any organization. So I think it's a wonderful mix. And I hope that I can find a way to you know, implement this in my organization. In fact, it is something that I've been toying with and it's just a question of how we reach these sectors to, you know, to, to market to them in terms of employment and, and opportunities.
0: Yeah. Anecdotally, there was a coffee shop in my, in my old neighborhood that employed an elderly man. And by elderly, I mean, he was quite elderly. He was in his seventies mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. he, and he wanted to be a barista and he was lonely. And so that was why he, I talked to him about it and he said, you know, I just, I, I you know, I, I live on my own now. My wife passed away and they allowed him to work four hour shifts. So Mm -hmm. they created a special, you know, all everybody else was working, you know, seven, eight, nine hour shifts. They made, let him work a four hour shift and he loved it. And everybody loved him. Everybody loved him. Everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. And it was, it was, it was a, it was the first time I'd ever seen someone that old working in the service industry.
1: Fantastic.
0: But it was a, it was, you know, it wasn't a a big company that has sort of like all these rules and regulations. It was a little local shop that had the ability to say, okay, you want to work here? How many hours can, do you think you can manage? And we'll make it work for you. And it was, and it was really, it was really special to have him there.
1: Of course. You know, honestly, I think about, there are places that I um, can think of many, many years ago, the Hudson Bay in particular really kind sort of comes to mind. I do recall even you know, a couple of decades ago, going in and quite often, the ladies that would work, you know, the floor were, were either retired or semi-retired or close to retirement age. And they were always extremely engaged, really helpful, very happy to be at work, you know. And I always, I'm, I recall thinking, you know, what a great opportunity to just have people who really want to be there you know they don't they don't need to be there but really want to be there for whatever reason and also um you know i i crossed an uber driver same thing in his 70s and he just he drove because he loved engaging with people and he did it for three four hours a day and not because he needed to but because he wanted to he just wanted to be out and about and get to know people and so on yeah
0: i I love the idea
1: yeah
0: okay so on the other end of the spectrum, we have robots. And, you know, if you read any sort of trend magazines or anything like that, we're, we're constantly talking about AI. They're gonna come in, they're gonna take our jobs. And I mean, it is true in some cases, and in, in, you know, in manufacturing has taking a real hit with automation coming in. Um, mm-hmm. But in other industries, we're, we're quite a long ways off from, you know, a robot takeover. But there is a reality that automation can help to support staff and it can help to get through, you know, we've seen different industries use automation to handle this. So what about the service industry and automation? Where do you see it having a role and when do you think it may arrive?
1: Yeah, I think we're still quite a ways away in the service industry. Um, I think that AI certainly has its place. Uh, we see things such as, you know, general inquiry, on our website being sort of outsourced to the bot. But even that bot is still heavily reliant on our team feeding it data. So we're ways away, I think. I know of of you know recently a, a hotel launched in Asia. I I don't wanna I don't want to give you wrong information. It was either in Shenzhen, China or somewhere in Japan that is supposedly fully automated. So I think there will be the the sort of niche Market where those kinds of anomalies might happen, but I don't think we're anywhere near that, to be honest. I just think with, with the service industry, there are the, the interactions and the possibilities are so infinite that I don't imagine any um, AI that's affordable being at that level at the moment.
0: Um, right. I think, like affordability, you know, often you see um, these different, you know, videos or, or read articles about this incredible AI and how it does this and it does that, but it's a one-off and it's a very specific environment and the cost is obviously, you know, it's not scalable at any no. measure. And I also think that what we've seen in banking is definitely gonna be relevant where, you know, it was like, we're gonna digitize everything and everything's gonna be automated and everyone's gonna be banking on their, on their phone and they're gonna be going to the ATM and everything's digital. But then it comes at the cost of that interaction and that relationship. And now banks are kind mm-hmm. of doing a 180 and saying, oh, now we need to have the best salespeople. We need to have the best people on the floor. We've got to have the best uh, you know, service because all right. of a sudden they all became the same because the apps all worked the same and the ATMs all worked the same. And now it was all automated. No so there was no differentiation. And so- yeah. And there's also no relationship if you think about for the average person, some of the big financial decisions that they're going to be making in their life, they want to talk to a person. They don't want to talk to a robot.
1: Um, I certainly don't.
0: <laughs> so uh, I, I think there's a it's it's good learning to look at the mm-hmm. financial industry and see, like, will we want to go to a, a completely automated hotel? Probably not. There's ways in automation can, can help. But are we going to want that? As people, I don't think we will, especially not post-pandemic. We all just want to be around other people right now.
1: Correct. And the consumer also, like if you think about where wealth is being held at the moment, you know, the most discretionary income is still in the hands of that generation who are quite resistant, actually, to even the technology, the basic technologies of, you know, online bookings and, you know, online payment portals and so on. So I think it would be quite naive to think that we can quickly and easily and seamlessly, you know, go into a digital world of AI attending to all of our needs. I, I It's just not, I don't see that happening. Not anytime soon.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think that, you know, I don't know if you saw the 14 minute video that Mark Zuckerberg put out about the metaverse, but I was like, I I don't know, are <laughs> tech companies, are they, are they delusional? Because I don't see that as, ever being something that people, are really, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I hope that that's, I, I do think the metaverse will happen. I just hope that that's not what it looks like.
1: Yeah, it didn't sound <laughs> too exciting. I wasn't sold. I wasn't running out no. there to, you know, get in the metaverse. Okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so in the short term, obviously there's some no brainer tactics, you know, uh, pay more, uh, use financial incentives and expand the talent pool, but longer term, do you have some thoughts on what are, what are the things that are gonna uh, attract and keep customer-facing workers in the service industry?
1: I think um, creating that positive, nurturing, sort of dignified environment to work in, I honestly think that that's probably the first thing that people talk about when they, you know, often there's talk about burnout in our industry part of having a dignified life is to be given the right to have a balanced life in terms of work and life. Unfortunately, in in the hospitality sector, we've all been sort of, we're all just like warriors. We're passionate about service. We're passionate about our product. So we work ourselves to death practically and and get burnt out and then just don't ever want to go back to the industry. So we have to find some level of balance, I think. And in order to do that, I think we just need to rethink our operating models, you know, um, and I think there is some opportunity there. And, and we're just going to have to get creative about it. I think equitable pay is something that, again, you know, has to be looked at. I uh, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, I would, I I, I could not claim to be, uh, you know, a human resources expert. I I don't know what the sort of rates and um, salary grids and so on. I I couldn't speak to that that much. But again, when when you talk to the industry uh, professionals, that often tends to be a bone of contention. I think just because of how difficult the work is, there doesn't seem to be um, in their perception an equitable pay um, associated to their positions. And then a sense of purpose and meaning, you know, nobody wants to go to work and feel like they are, quote unquote, low skilled, no skilled you know, people and, and that they're easily replaceable and that what they do doesn't have meaning. I think that if anything, the pandemic has taught us is that our societies as a whole, our well-being depends on these people who, who attend to us and to our needs every single day literally our well-being depends on them. So I think that should be a source of pride and it should be a source of accomplishment. And I think a lot of that has to do with how people are treated both from employers and from a uh, consumers um, perspective. Um, I've been really lucky to work with amazing companies, Drake being one of them, where people are valued, their skills are valued, you know, their opinions are valued. And I think the more we create those environments and we make them baseline, that's, that's an absolute bare minimum. It should be. And if, we, if we're able to do that, I think that the, the industry and the work is so noble and so interesting and fun that, that uh, we could see a resurgence of interest in it.
0: Absolutely, I think um, it's it's also a generational thing where younger people want to be inspired and they want inspiring yes. leaders. They want to work for organizations that they believe in, the cause behind that organization. That's sort of like, why did this founder of this organization just have to open up uh, a hotel and restaurant and why right. are they so passionate? And they want to buy into that passion and share it right. and feel that they're contributing to it. And it's it's something that's across. Again, it's it's not just the service industry. It's it's across. All industries. And I had a really interesting conversation with Ron Thurston, who is, uh, he's in the, uh, the retail sector in apparel. And mm-hmm. he's written a book called Retail Pride. And it's about this very thing, where often mm-hmm. you have people who have these accidental careers, where maybe they went to university for something else, and then they stumble into the service sector. And they yeah. end up so passionate, they love it so much that it becomes this whole career path that they never sort of imagined happening for them. And yeah. that happens. When that magic, when that purpose is all there. So uh, I think that's a great place to end our conversation. So thanks, thanks so much. Pleasure. As companies from across all kinds of categories face similar challenges in customer service roles, taking this moment in time as an opportunity to make these jobs better may seem like a big ask when there have been so many other curveballs thrown at us throughout the pandemic. But as birth rates continue to drop around the globe and our aging population stops working, this problem is poised to persist. It's not going away. Brands that are willing to reimagine these roles will be able to then reimagine service in a way that allows both the customer and the staff to enjoy the best of food and hospitality again. Thanks for listening. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast.